Welcome back to this episode of The Development Dilemma. This podcast is ultimately about understanding where power lies in the development space and then questioning it. And none of my guests to date have been as well positioned to tackle this as Wanjira and Jerry and Mino from the Organic Intellectuals Group in Nairobi. And this recording comes from an event I held in Nairobi with the three of them. And they're particularly well-placed to talk about this issue because they have lived and worked for the betterment of their community in places where they often face the consequences of NGOs and their attempts to, in many ways, depoliticize and change the ways in which their communities can function. And what you'll hear in this episode is also a call for solidarity, not aid, but solidarity, to allow them to expand their work as the organic intellectuals and expand their reach amongst different communities in Nairobi. If you are able to share solidarity, you can do so through a link I will share in the description. A big thanks to Madari Social Justice Center and everyone there who have been a big part of sharing their time and their energy, allowing me to learn. In our panel, we were focusing on their experiences of community organizing and doing so in the face of NGO intervention and the challenges that brings, as well as their political struggle and in particular, their book, Breaking the Silence of NGOs, which you can find on sale as well, which is a collection of stories and chapters written from people in these communities about their experiences of fighting for justice and how to find a way forward. The second panel of today is really important, really interesting and exciting. And it speaks to dignity in what we touched on earlier about forms of expression, about agency, about how do communities manage to take the space that aid organizations won't give them and instead create their own ways of change and try to break, as their book is, breaking the silence on NGOs. And so today we have three fantastic chapters and authors and writers and activists who will get a chance to kind of give their own story and give their own chapter and perspective with which we can explore. So we have Njeri, Mino, and Julie, and I'll let you guys introduce yourself. So I'm Njeri Mwangi from Madare, a community organizer, and I volunteer as the admin coordinator at Madare Social Justice Center. I'm a writer with the Organic Intellectuals Network. Yes. My name is Aminocha from Okuru Community Justice Center. I also coordinate the Social Justice Center's Traveling Theater. I am also a member of the Organic Intellectuals and the Women in Social Justice Centers. And so touching on dignity, I would say that dignity is a social justice. The Article 43, the social justice issue, being able to afford food, education, healthcare, clothing, and shelter. I'll say that social justice is where you do not have to compromise one thing for another one. Yeah, just being able to live a dignified life and a humanitarian life. Thank you, Mino. Good evening, everybody. My name is Wanjera. I am also from the Matare Social Justice Center, a member of the Kenya Organic Intellectuals Network, and co-host of the Liberating Minds podcast on YouTube about history mainly. I'd like to agree with Mino and Jerry that dignity is not having to worry about your needs. This constant worry about am I going to have supper tonight, where is rent coming from, school fees and all that. So dignity is social justice for everybody 
and a life without fear. I think for me, dignity is something worth respect. And I'm happy to be here because our struggle, the struggle for social justice, is struggle for dignified life, where people really get to have the basic necessary amenities that they need on a daily basis. So that is what dignity means to me. Thank you, guys. And perhaps to start off, Njeri, you wrote your piece on this question of community organizing and NGOs, and we actually touched on this earlier, about some of the implications of all of the interaction of NGOs and how it affects your community organizing. So I'd love to hear you speak more about that and what we can take from it. Yeah, so on the book that is outside this book, it's called Breaking the Silence in NGOs in Kenya. So I've written an article on community organizing and NGOs because myself, I'm a community organizer in Madare. And it's also from my lived experience and also the experience that I've gotten, let's say, seven years working in the community that I was born in and volunteering at Madare Social Justice and working very closely with NGOs. Because what I saw was NGOs trying so much to push for reforms and not what the community want or sees as change, perhaps. So, for example, MSJC does so much documentation on extrajudicial killing because MSJC is a community agency. Weban has spoken about so much about community agencies. So it does so much about what is going on in the community. And when NGOs come, it says, we have this funding, but you can only do documentation for only this thing. And that is what we can only fund. And this makes community organizer only concentrate on one thing in the community, that is documentation perhaps, and also leave the other things that are happening in their community, like disalign these people from what is going on in the community. Because these people every day they will be waking up to go document these cases so that they can refer them to the NGOs that are funding them. So that is the piece that I got to explore more and I wrote on my article. Yeah, thank you, Njeri. And I know there was another piece of this around the expectations it sets in a community about what it means to organize. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to hear, and maybe Mino, you have some other thoughts, or Julie, or on, on what it means as community organizers as you all are, how does the presence of NGOs and some of the expectations they set influence what you can do and the agendas you can kind of promote? So I can start from my personal experience. So Milka Cabral says that we learn from experience, we learn from books, we learn from people, we learn every day. So my analysis on our NGO discourse is a, 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 a lived experience. Because being born and raised in one of the most poor communities, that is younger, I came to realize that NGOs were not really doing much to, to change the conditions there. Because I would usually attend these forums every now and then, these dialogues talking about police brutality, and then they will put the police there, the chief there, the, C, the OCS there, and then there's you there, there's a whole dialogue going on. And then the NGO is the one who has convened that. Then after they have left, you, you get profiled. So now you start running away from police and all that. So this didn't really change a lot in my community 
community. It even worsened the conditions in my community. And also we would usually attend these forums because of the little tokens they will give us. So every time we attend these forums, we'll get like 500 shillings or 100 shil 1,000 shillings. And this is a trend in informal settlements. And we always do that. Every time there's an NGO forum in, in an informal settlement, people will come for the tokens, for the money, because these things have not created any change in our communities. And we, in these informal settlements, we have so many NGOs. You can even look, for example, Kibera. How many NGOs do we have in Kibera slums? What has really changed in Kibera? So I, I came to realize that these NGOs really doesn't change anything. They don't even talk about the radical language. So I came across the social justice in 2018, where we were talking about connecting our struggles, the struggles of Mukurua, the struggles of Madara, are the struggles of Dandora. So these are people coming up to own their own problems, not someone coming to tell us, now you know these are the police, now you police, you need to be good to the people and all that. While we understand these are systematic injustices, these are very, what do we call them? They are systematic, they are generated by the system. So then again, you cannot change a situation that is generated by the system by just uh, starting from, you know, conversations about police brutality, about why, why is there no water and the, in our constitution? There is the right to water. So NGOs bringing us water. Why is there no education while we have the right to education? So coming to Mukuru Kwajanga and only picking 50 students to educate them while you have left other 5,000 students doesn't really solve the problem in Mukuru or in this country. It only solved the problem with, you know, very few people. Yeah, so that was my experience with the NGOs. And, uh, you know, my second forum, after that forum I had about social justice, my second one was about how the Philippine community chased away all the NGOs because they also discovered they are not bringing any change. You know, they are just mark-timing you. Today they give you food. Tomorrow you don't have food. You have to struggle for something else. You know, you're just there, hopeful, but your conditions never really change. Yeah. That was powerful, you know. Maybe just to add that as community organizers, we interact a lot with NGOs. And I do not doubt the good intentions of NGOs. So Shivji in this book says a lot of NGOs are morally motivated. They want to do good. They want to help the community. They want to make things a little better. But the main critique we have with NGOs is that they have been dealing with symptoms and not the root cause of issues. And then the separation of issues, for example, police brutality as an issue, but we do not address the historical injustices of police issues in the country, actually. Poverty, Madare is like a monument of colonial history in the country. We do not address why so many Students in not just even in Madara, in Kenya right now, cannot afford basic education, which is a right enshrined in our constitution. So, just like Waiban, I was also in the Valley of Darkness. I am one of the students from the Valley of Darkness who somehow, somehow found the light. <laughs> and I had never reflected upon that upbringing the way he did at an individual level how it actually made us think all those things of being unworthy and all that, coming from darkness, having saviors from miles and miles away, really. Like our, our pictures are in, in very many fridges abroad of people just praying for us and wishing the poverty away through those donations that they send us. But really, 
we cannot begin to address these issues like this or box people's issues into log frames or say, or even give them a particular timeline, like the way NGOs like to do project implementation. This project is going to run for three years and everything is expected, reports, deadlines, receipts, and all that. But in three years, the same GBV that was happening in Madare is, will continue after this project has ended. So it is that criticism of addressing issues as though they are different from the one main issue, which is actually neoliberalism, imperialism, colonialism, and all those challenges that we collectively find ourselves in today. Footnote to what Wanjira is saying about poverty. Of course, having people symbolizing themselves as savior to rescue you from this poverty, which of course, most of them know this poverty is created, and they know that this poverty is violence. So when you're poor, of course, there is extrajudicial killings, there is gender-based violence, and you're singling out one issue and not wanting to deal with the other issues that come along with this particular issue. Of course, there is unemployment that is leading to young people maybe mugging in the street, getting them killed. Also, there is, of course, a system that is not working clearly that is making people not to have good housing and also leading to all these injustices that are happening. And we are sidelining all that and just wanting to deal with one issue. I find that really powerful. And I think, Wanjira, you're kind of touching on this, of this idea of they'll be picking and choosing from a library of items they seem to care about or for that moment are in vogue or in fashion. And I think underlying that, the one thing they'll never pick, which is fascinating, is political or the notion that these issues and poverty is a political problem. And I think that's fascinating. There's good reasons for why that happens, but what it does is it removes from them any responsibility of engaging with people's lives and the complexity that means that they don't have the political agency or the control to try to change these things in a more kind of fundamental level. And maybe Mino touching on that, your chapter on this idea of kind of the real struggles, class struggle, which explicitly addresses the fact that this is a political problem. I'd love to hear more about how, how you wrote that and what informed it. Okay, I'll, uh, from what Zira has said, that the NGOs have really separated our struggle. So today there's this NGO fighting about menstrual products, there's this one fighting of food, education, and all that, you know, separating our struggles into small portions, when, when in reality our struggle is just class struggle. The NGOs will never talk about the genesis of poverty. What is the genesis of poverty? What has brought us into this current situation that we are, into this neoliberal state that we are living in? It is the historical injustices that have been done to us, to human beings. 
So that is what has brought about the, the, the many struggles that we have up to today. If you go to police brutality, if you look at police brutality, you will go back to crime. If you go back to crime, you will go back to poverty. I am not in any way advocating for crime. But then again, if you are living in an informal settlement where you do not have food. For example, I come from faced mass demolitions last year, but one. And I was born and raised in Mukuru Kwajenga. I have not seen the kind of crime that I am seeing in Mukuru today. Why is there that crime? Because this is a systematic problem that has been created by the system. It is actually, we can go to, to the slums and talk about, you know, hold dialogues, talk about crime and all that, but we're not talking about the root cause of this crime. These things have been caused by the class struggle that we have. It is, I mean, it is us humans that create this social wealth through our labor, which has been exploited by those who own means of production. What does that mean? There's a all-class struggle. There's exploitation of labor, which the NGOs, of course, will never address that. So if you're talking about crime, and we're not talking about unemployment, we're not talking about poverty, what are we talking about? So this is very systematic. And then after crime, we're going to talk about extrajudicial killing. We will have our own funding for extrajudicial killing. But when we want funding, when we want uh, solidarity to address the real issue, which is the class struggle, we don't get that kind of funding. And it is very difficult to get that kind of funding. And then again, there's all these things of right proposals, right concepts. I mean, we come from the informal settlements. Even affording education is a challenge. So you expect us to come up with all these, you know, these bu bureaucracies of writing a concept. I don't know how it should look like. I don't know what language we're supposed to be using there. And you understand that, you know, there's a difference of class here. I am struggling with English as I am sitting here. So, <laughs> so you see, and telling me to write all those things is, you know, you're just demoralizing me. It's just like telling me, you know what, we cannot solve your problem. Now you just go. So class struggle is the, is the real struggle that we need to address because there are people who have, you know, monopolized means of production. They are the ones who own all these things. They are the ones who control us. So what do we do with these people who control us, who have refused to distribute wealth to the, you know, to us? You know, I, living in, in, in Mokuru Kwajanga has exposed me to so many things because I live just near industrial area. And I know uh, people there are getting paid 15,000, 20,000. I mean, in this current life, being paid 15,000 and you have three kids, your children will not even go to school. So it, there is a whole class struggle that is not being talked about, that is not being discussed in our spaces. Yeah. You've reminded me something, that even in the NGO sector, you know, I always wondered, in that, our Valley of Darkness NGO, I always wondered why the workers are not progressing, because we did a lot of theatrics to get this money coming, especially as mother kids. There was a whole lot of activities to make sure that this money keeps coming. And so after some time, we began to see the money coming, but the workers in the NGO, in that NGO, remained significantly poor. Well, the owners of NGOs became mega millionaires, even moved from Madare and went to resettle in the rich neighborhood. But the people, the people that were still working in this NGO did not enjoy the benefit of, of this money that was streaming in. So again, it goes to share that, that even though it's portrayed as a humane industry, as Comrade Asua wrote in this book, there are a lot of, in, what is it called? There's a lot of injustices also going on. 
and also classism in the NGO sector. That, for example, interns or people like the librarian, for example, she was my friend at there at Nini, but even after I finished high school, she was still earning what she earned when I was a student. So that goes to show that there's a little bit of in not being honest about really changing because if we are changing, we start with, with us. You know, if money is coming for our well-being, we make sure everybody is taken care of. But I saw, and that continues to be, I think, a thing. Even for us applying for internships somewhere, it is free. But we are giving our labor, we are giving our intellectual, we are giving and we are not receiving. Yeah, thank you, Wanjira. And maybe, Jerry, I'm, I'm curious, are there experiences you've also had interacting with NGOs on some of the reporting programs of MSJC or otherwise that, that speak to this imbalance of power or, or a lack of, yeah, dignity in its treatment? Yeah. So, of course, when you're working with an NGO, most of the time it's because you're running a project with them. And as my colleagues here have said, these projects, they have a lot of bureaucracies. You, you're told how to report. You're told what to say because, of course, they have to impose also the donors that are funding them so that they can have money come through the organization to you. But, of course, it's majorly because of the work that you are doing. And most of the time... There is zero or none, of course, discussion or negotiation of how you can use these funds to advance the work that you're doing or to move the community forward. It's most of the time rigid or dogmatic, the way they just want it to be. And it makes it very hard because sometimes their dynamics is not the community's dynamics. And what should be done is of course, they should embrace the agencies that are there in the community, like Madare Social Justice, which is in the community, having volunteers from the communities who understand what is happening in the community, giving them or advising them what should be done with the funding, that, of course, because the funding is important to take the work forward, what is, should be done with these funds to make sure that they go to the next step. So it's this push around kind of localization and more power going to existing networks, communities. I think we assume in the aid world, the assumption is the problem hasn't been solved because people don't know or don't want or don't care. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, there are institutions, fabrics that are addressing that. And how can you step back, learn from them, and support them instead? Yeah. Mino. I wanted to add on what Jerry was saying. So NGOs will come with their own agendas, Mtani. So they will come with, with an agenda of police brutality. But maybe the issue that we are facing currently in our area is water. And working with the social justice centers, traveling theater, I have experienced that a lot. Because if the NGO come with an agenda, you know, now the social justice centers, traveling theater, you need to, to do a performance on extrajudicial killings and you will do it in maybe these five areas. And maybe that is not the real issue of that community. So uh, the NGO should come learn from the people and understand what really is their issues and you know not give us aid but solidarity what we really need is solidarity yeah and maybe Wanjira, to your article your chapter 
which is another form of solidarity on the Pan-African level. Love to hear about your work there. And I know you were recently traveling in with another group to learn more about this and build Pan-Africanism. Thanks. My article on the, article on the book was on Pan-Africanism because we cannot understand the present without understanding the past. So we understand what happened before, because the present is, is informed by the past, by what happened in the past. And we are understanding, the, we are contextualizing the present so we can chart together a better future. So in understanding the past, we understand that when African countries gained independence, there was this push for Pan-Africanists to have one Africa and not sister states as pushed by the Western world. And why One Africa would have been powerful was so that our agendas and issues are as a continent. Because dividing, dividing it and making every country have a president and a flag and all that makes, makes it easy to have a group of people who are ready to balkanize Africa, to exploit Africa, just so they can remain that selected uh, few. And we cannot criticize now without understanding that. So the history of colonialism, the division of Africa like a piece of cake in 1885, the Berlin Conference, and then now the, new, the neoliberalism now, because colonialism has been replaced by neoliberalism. It's, it's like the other side went out, this door came in this way, you know, because that is the manifestation of our realities today. Our president the other day went to, for the commemoration of King Charles. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, you can't do that. You know, given the injustice that that kingdom has caused in the history of our country, it is an insult to our ancestors to have one of us go for that very backward event. But then again, it is perhaps not the understanding of the contextualization of history, or you have to forget your past, you have to forget that you are mistreated, that this plunder happened, that millions of Africans died, to continue now this neoliberalism. But then also it is the, the Britain Woods institutions that put these conditions for African presidents, that you either join the bandwagon of globalization, or you get left behind in terms of development, in terms of getting aid. And this aid comes with strings attached. Now we see the effect of privatization of all this public, and that is why Aswa was asking, should we continue reforming aid, or should we all together do away with the aid? Because I strongly feel we are able to have education for all Kenyan students. We've had very passionate teachers, oh, she went. But there are teachers like the lady from Madare in Gog. And I, in fact, we had very good teachers. I think that is why Waiban and I are able to be here today. We had very, very good, passionate teachers. So it is, it is a possibility that can be realized to have free, affordable education for all children in our country. And by extension, in my article I said we should do away with, with this European engineered borders. That now you have visas to go to which African country, you know, it really should just be our continent. And then undoing of all of this mess that has been done is going to take so much, given the nature of present-day Africans, Ali Bongo Dimba, you know, Museveni, who's sworn to die there, you know. 
So what needs to be done is to first of all inform ourselves about our realities, about where we are, about where we're coming from, about who we are, and about where we need to go. As the youth, we need to consolidate our constituency. We are the majority, and you know, life is even worse for us than it was for our parents. When I was young, a packet of unga was not... Unga need to? 240. You know, a packet of unga was not 240 shillings. Life is getting increasingly hard for us. I can only imagine what that will be for our children if we do not start to take action now, if we do not start to come together as the youth and say, listen, guys, we need to think about what our tomorrow is like. We laugh at our leadership. When we, we send each other pictures and say, look, you're DP. You're <laughs> it's embarrassing that we are there as the youth, right? But given that we are the majority, we cannot keep lamenting. It means we have muscle, we have power, we can do something about our situations. And first is to inform ourselves and to understand what's really going on. Where are we? Yeah, sorry, I've talked much. I think from my perspective, I think what needs to be done, and I think that is what we are already doing with the Organic Intellectuals Network. It's first saying that we cannot just have one person who thinks knows what is best for all of us. Can we come together and also for people who are receiving this aid or for people who are being helped, can you first get to know what their immediate need is? And also, can they also be the people who are saying, can this be used for this? Because they understand more than you do because you're a second party. And the knowledge that they have, if they feed on what you think you have, can go a long way. So what's to be done is not to cut the tree from the stem, but from the roots. As Wanjera said, we need to understand the genesis of our problems, the genesis of our history, so that we can be able to move forward. So let the NGOs be in solidarity with us as we emancipate mental slavery from our people. And in, on that note of solidarity, solidarity also does, looks like respecting my time when I attend your, your event as an NGO. You cannot give me 500 shillings at the end of the day. I have spent my whole hours there. Where the, you come from, people are paid hourly. But me, you give me 500 shillings. That is disrespect to me and to the people at our community. Or you are comfortable hiring a Mercedes bus to take me to your event, but you cannot give me that same amount in transport. What really goes on there? I don't understand. I do not understand why it is more beneficial for the NGO to invest in this logistics than in us who are enabling the process or the activity to take place. Because even as we chart the way forward about what needs to be done currently, the present reality is we are working with NGOs. And it is important for NGOs to understand or rather to give us dignity even as we engage. Maybe then, as a last piece, and Manjira's had her perspective on what NGOs should be doing as they engage with you. Any other thoughts? We have the notion of cut from the roots, not from the stem. But any other thoughts that come to mind in terms of when NGOs come to Mukuru, to Madare, how they should engage, how they should look to find you, to listen and work with you? I think personally, and this is what I usually say, even to the rest of the organizers that we work closely with, that we are no longer networks, you see? 
when you see somebody that like when you see somebody as your network you see them as that person if they our relationship can be partners that these are our, the partners that we work with that collectively we get to win for the good of this community i think that can be the the best engagement and that's where we can we can start engaging better from there is something we do at the Social Justice Centre's Travelling Theatre called the Reke Visit. So if you are going to go and perform in Madare, we will do a Reke Visit just to, to be there in that community and understand what is their immediate problem, what is the immediate issue that they are facing. And when we do that, we also, we, when we are, now when we are done with the Reke Visit and we make a script about that immediate problem, when we go to that community, we make them own that problem. We don't make it look like now we are going to solve the problem. We make them own that problem so that they are able to fight for themselves. So let the NGOs be in solidarity with us. Let them bring us the resources. But then again, the resources, do not, let them not come with agendas, with their own agendas. Let them come with, we are community organizers. That is why we are called the social justice movement. Come to us, let us know what is the problem and what is to be done. Let the problem come from the people. Do not come with a problem and solutions. Yeah, so basically ending the messianic tendency and centering people at every decision. Amazing. Well, I think with that, it reminds me of a quote by an indigenous writer called Lily Watson. I think it touches on what you were mentioning of this idea. And she writes, if you've come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. And I think you've shown that. And I think the work you do as organic intellectuals, as Mukuru, as Madara Social Justice Center, is about building that liberation, fighting for it. And so as we close today, there are, I think, two asks for the audience. One is, as I'm sure you're already very intrigued, they have Breaking the Silence on NGOs in Africa, this book you can find outside. And not only will you hear these stories in more depth, but there's 17 chapters. There's many other pieces to explore and learn from. And then in Jerry, I think there's another piece of this you'll share. Yeah. Also, as Organic Intellectuals Network, what we do we generate, of course, because this knowledge is not Jerry's knowledge. It's the community that I come from, knowledge. So what we, are, we also want to do, we, the book was, has just been finished, and we want to take this back to the community. So we want to do community forums like this one, where we go to the communities that we are from because we don't have only writers from Madari. We have from Okuru, from Dagoreti, from Kibra. So we want to have four seminars in different communities, mostly informal settlements in Nairobi. And our request is you stand in solidarity with the Organic Intellectuals Network. We are looking for 80,000 to have four different seminars. Feel free to stand in solidarity with us. Outside, when you buy a copy, of course, you're, you're also standing in solidarity with us. But also, we have an impressa which we can, you can help us if you want to, to donate towards the four fo forums that we'll, we will have. Each forum goes for 20,000 only to hire hall and refreshments for the community members who will participate for that seminar. Amazing, thank you and Jerry, and thank you all for sharing. Sit down and
Let's open up to any questions that jump to mind. Thank you. I'm Kinuthi Ndungu, also a member of Kasarani Social Justice, another social movement in Kasarani. So first, we need to appreciate that the organic intellectual is not a, you know, a group of people seated somewhere and then trying to imagine what our people are going through. But this book is a product of practice. So through their practice, they have now documented the struggle of building you know, a social movement from below. Dignity, to me, is to guarantee people their material needs. And Cabral tells us that you know, people are not interested in ideas, but they're only interested in, of course, their material needs. And of course, this is therefore a struggle against the dehumanizing legacy of our system. It therefore means that this is also another political struggle. So it's an irony when we're engaging with with organizations that say they want to eliminate poverty, but they say they are not political. What happens is, even within our movements, we have this, these comrades who are here, and when they're doing so good, then they, are, they come and fish them, and now take them to work in the mainstream civil society organizations. What does that mean? First, they depoliticize our movements, and then they disorganize it. Again, the other day, an NGO comes and organizes a very good forum, and trying to educate my community. Why we need to plant vegetables in sacks within our slums when people in the country have grabbed acres of land which are still idle. So they are not addressing the root cause of this. Thank you. Hello. Uh, my name is Felix. I have a question. So for guys like you guys who are working in the community doing the work of organizing who may sometimes depend on fund from other people and other organizations. I'm curious to know what is it that you guys are doing so that you do not end up to be like in a situation whereby the guys who are giving you the money are in some way turning you into an NGO. Okay, I'm Flawless, Konya, Amarapa, from Madare, and also with the Madare Green Movement. So my question first is how do we eliminate dependency for like people of Madare to stop depending on NGOs. So how do we change that? Flawless. Thank you. Thank you. I will share the questions with the rest of the panelists. I wanted to answer to Comrade Konya. His question was, do NGOs really respect social justice? And because he's an artist, he brings up the issues of him being exploited, having to perform, other people are paid because they are quote-unquote professionals, and him, he's not, his work is not seen as cultural, cultural labor. And I think this is also something that the organic intellectuals is opening up for discussion because we see art as cultural labor that deserves compensation and dignified compensation. Okay, so psychosocial support, what Ndugu Kenodia has said, I have, been, I have attended 
A lot of this psychosocial support where you will go to this very big bourgeois hotel and stay there for one week eating duvets and, you know, those book foods and, you know, sleeping well and all that. But then when you go back to your community, you go back to reality. But if there is one thing, one major thing that comes out of this psychosocial support, even when people are sharing and all that, it is majorly poverty. It is poverty that always comes out of this. And it is only poverty that is not solved. So, comrade, what we are doing as a movement to make sure that we do not end up as NGOs, we are not non-ideological, we are not non-political. We understand that to be young and not to be political is a genetic disorder. <laughs> yeah, so, so we are very political. Biological contradiction, yes. <laughs> So we are very political and we are very ideological. We are trying to, you know, address our issues in a very political way and educating the masses. Why, why is the need for us to organize towards a radical change? And what we want is the world to be won. And to my comrade artist, comrade, I have suffered like you as an artist. <laughs> So the, the, the NGOs have not really well recognized the work of art in advancing the social justice conversation, which they should really recognize. I don't know if you can understand. <laughs> we have really suffered in this country. And it is a, a, a very historical and injustice. If you go back to Ukoflani, Maumau, those comrades who have been doing very radical work as artists, they have been frustrated with resources, they have been starved with resources. They only fund other things better when it comes to artists. It's But we will continue to advance this conversation and make sure that we are considered and we also sit in this decision-making table so that we can continue advancing the struggle and using art as a tool for liberation. In addition to the question on how do we ensure that we do not become NGOs, I think we're also very deliberate with having a different style of leadership, having collective leadership and not, say for example, an executive director where backstops without one person can make decisions for the rest of the organization. I'd like to take Zangi's question on why don't NGOs deal with real issues NGOs are not in service to us in reality because he who pays the piper calls the tune, right? He who feeds you controls you. That is the, the same case with the NGOs. They might not intend to be drivers of the neoliberal agenda, to be drivers of imperialism agenda, but with or without knowing it, they are actually drivers of the agendas of imperialism. And so they advanced the imperial project on the African continent. And that is why the, the, the real issues, they cannot, they cannot even criticize imperialism as boldly as we do or as clearly as we do because the funding will stop. So that is why NGOs cannot really deal. Also, I strongly feel that it is not even in the place of NGOs to deal with our issues in, in all honesty. I feel that... And in connection to your question on how do we eliminate dependency as the people of Madare, we can only depend on ourselves, not, not just as the people of Madare, but as the people. We say in our political education sessions that the people know, the people are brilliant, the people have all the answers, the people 
And in respecting them today, we say they know the answers to their questions. So it is trusting in ourselves as the people. It is in, it is in actualizing our knowledge and believing that these answers to these solutions we have, we can actualize them together. So in, in reducing dependency, in eliminating dependency, we invest in ourselves and we take up, we take the whole, what is it called? The horn by the bull. Is, what is the bull by the horn. <laughs> Amazing. English is hard for us. <laughs> we also have a very powerful slogan that says, organize, educate, liberate. You don't just organize, you educate so that you can liberate. Thank you all for staying, for engaging. This is obviously a conversation that needs to continue. You can continue by getting the book here. You can continue, most importantly, by supporting the Organic Intellectuals Network to hold these conversations in different areas of Nairobi, of the country. So a big thank you to the panelists, and thank you for engaging. I really loved the end of that episode. And as you hear the panel event tail out, what you hear are the voices of the many members of social justice centers that were there that night, chanting, sharing their voices and their power, and with that, trying to galvanize action and energy. So as I mentioned, if you would be able to share solidarity, that will be really appreciated. And I can say this is funds that go to such great uses and purposes, far better than many NGOs that will work in these communities. And so please do consider to do so. You can find the details in the description. A big thanks for listening. I hope you took away interesting pieces. And if you get the chance, let me know what you thought and share the episode. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.